Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at, at the, the movies. movies. But in Wait conclusion, a minute. Wait, what? What What just happened? I'm, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves by jumping right to the end. We're beginning at the ending today. Are we in a tenet paradox? Is this a pincer maneuver? I wonder. Huh. Only that could amuse us. We're so easily amused. Beginning at the ending. What could that mean for today's episode? Sounds like a Christopher Nolan episode of a podcast. It me. kind of does. Like this isn't quite like Memento, but it kind of it kind of is a little bit. I'm about Although, to say it's definitely Memento. You kind of Yeah, with that one, they they sort of Yeah, they they begin at the ending. They there. literally do. The casing from the bullet goes jumps back up into the gun at the beginning of Memento. Well, that's how we're going to start today cuz we're going to stick the ending. And we're going to stick it right in the front. That's right. Which we just did. Maybe we'll come back and do the ending again at, at the very end of the movie, or maybe we'll begin do some kind of beginning at the ending. I don't know. We'll think that over. We'll let you get your mind twisted in knots over it, but we've introduced ourselves by now, too, so we don't have to do that this time around, um, as we normally would. Jump right on in. This is Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, and we enjoy talking movies here on this podcast, our Paul Bunyan Broadcasting Movie Podcast, which is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Really, it's a strange time for movies right now. It continues to be. Um, thankfully, theaters have been allowed to reopen in the state of Minnesota after the uh, pause that was going on from mid-November through early January here of 2021. But theaters have been allowed to reopen. You can now go and you can get concessions from them and be able to uh, continue to support the local theater in that way. The Bemidji Theater is located on Highway 2 just down from the airport it's a good time to continue supporting them, especially with the ability to get concessions, which the money of which stays within the theater itself. And that really is the best way if you want to support theaters, but you're not quite feeling like you want to sit in an auditorium, and that's where I am right now. Not in an auditorium, I just don't want to right now. Um, but I will go to the snack bar because every ticket they sell, they might keep a dollar of that, you know, whatever the ticket cost is for your theater, $20 ticket, $15 ticket. They might get a dollar. The rest goes back to L.A. But the concessions, that's why sodas cost three bucks because that's how they make their money. And in times like this, when you get the snacks or you're going to do movie night at the house, go buy and get some real theater popcorn. Where else are you going to find an icy? in Bemidji, Minnesota, other than theater. Go get some candy bars, some popcorn, some goodies. Bring it home and enjoy it that way or bring it to work. Uh, that's how they make their money. That'll help support them in a good way. And I've been uh, I've been a frequent stopper in. Or not frequent, frequent, but you know enough. At least monthly, sometimes twice a month. But I'll do it as often as I can. So go check that out. But they're, they're going under harder times already uh, coming out of Hollywood now that basically the first, call it five months of the Hollywood schedule starting to untie and getting pushed. James Bond again getting pushed to October of 2021. Yep. That, by the way, is going to be a year and a half after its original date 
And it's the longest time between James Bond movies, which was Licensed to Kill going into Gold, GoldenEye, was like six years. We're getting close to that now. And the funny thing is that this case, the movie's done. It's just they don't want to release it to an empty theater. They don't want to stream it. They want people in the seats. Because I think one of the things we're finding out is that while you might launch something like HBO Max with a tag along like Wonder Woman 1984 – the money is at the box office. You know, if you're going to get a, $20, a $10 subscription fee to whatever streamer service and you get to watch these new primo movies, that's not the same as, you know, $20 per butt in the seat per multiple showings on the night per multiple theaters. The money gets made at the box office. And while you can make some decent money with streamers, it just isn't the same. Yeah. Now, there are some movies that are in theaters, including yeah. at the Bemidji Theater. They've got... They've got a few movies that are that are out for release right now that you can go and see and and get a chance to be in the theater for. What classics are they showing right now? Because they only have like one or two new movies. Well, at the at at Bemidji Theater, it doesn't look like they have any classics per se that are that are out right now. It's it's mostly just new stuff, mostly just newer stuff, and a lot of a lot more under the radar newer stuff that's that's been decided to be released to theaters. Wonder Woman 1984 is the most notable yeah. exception. That's that's out in theaters across for wide release right now. But it's been out a month. I mean, it came out in yep. December. Yep. So. so there's only a few exceptions. But yeah, like you said, the the calendar just keeps getting shifted backward again and again. This has been a recurring theme here over the last several months. And um, No Time to Die has been at the center of that, the upcoming James Bond movie. But um, everyone's still trying to gauge when when is going to be the best time to be able to really try to get back out on the main market, which is why the decision regarding HBO Max, which we have we have talked about HBO Max and um, and the Warner Brothers properties, was such a huge one. In that there was the possibility of this that there might be a delayed return to the theaters for the general public, or really being able to get back to the theaters. And that this this shift of releasing simultaneously on the big screen and there digitally would allow to would would be able to offset that. But I mean, you and I questioned this with that podcast episode a few weeks ago. Is it going to represent a paradigm shift in the industry, or is it just for what's going on right now with the times, with how things are right now, with the continued the the continued nature of the pandemic? It's actually working, I think, for the times, given how. It seems that this wait is going to be extended, but beyond that, hard to know. It's. I think it's, it works for the now, but I don't think it's a sustainable model for the same reason I said. I don't think they make the money on the streaming with brand new movies like this, where the budget is $200 million for the movie. They're not going to make $200 million just to go to feedback that movie. You've got an entire streaming service with all the other content. They just paid how much for The Office with Peacock and so forth. Yep. You need to make that back, too. I don't think charging whatever for a subscription for a month, even a little premium on top of that, is going to do it. I think you need the box office especially. Can it work for the now? Sure. But is it sustainable forever and ever? I don't think as is. They're going to, I think it's like walking with a bowl of water, like I mentioned. It sloshes. It's never totally straight at the bottom of the bowl. It moves and sloshes from side to side. Well, we're seeing the hard slosh to one side. At some point, it's going to have to slosh back to find its happy medium and then maybe we'll find something that's sustainable for the future, pandemic or not pandemic. But I we'll will say, see. we'll see. I'm optimistic for the summertime. I do think summer of 2021, while it won't be 
as normal. I have a feeling that we're getting that bright light over the horizon now starting to definitely be light in your eyes. The vaccine is out. My wife's got her vaccine. In fact, she's getting her booster shot today. Okay. Uh, I haven't had mine, nor is my kiddo, but it's coming. And not that, you know, once you get your vaccine, well, it's all free and clear now. No, you still take precautions, but, you know, when I get a shot in me, I'd feel with a mask much more safe about going to a movie theater and when other people around me likewise. and But you get these different variants that are coming up. So will the vaccine that you got, will it work for the new Brazilian variant? So on and so forth. A lot of questions. But I have a feeling by the time we get to summer, things are going to start to iron out enough that I might pick and choose my battles. Um, but if there's a movie I really want to see, I might not go opening night, but maybe I'll go to a matinee or something. You yeah. Know, less, less people are going to the three o'clock. I might, you know, find a way to work, you know, to wiggle out of work or something and go see the matinee show, you know, or a matinee on a Sunday or something late, you know, something where people aren't going to go a week into its opening, then I'll go. So I got a feeling we're going to turn the corner here, but everyone wants it turned yesterday. That's not happening. Yeah. Yet. Well, we remind our listeners of this on a fairly regular basis. I think it really bears repeating today with our episode. There will be some spoilers that we're going to be getting into today because we are talking movie endings. There's going to be some serious spoilers that we're getting into today. So if you hear a movie title along the way and you haven't, Watch that movie, but you're you're planning on doing so at some point. You're being warned now. Yeah, just make sure that you uh, either toss the earbuds at that point or maybe try to skip ahead or um, cover up your ears and go la, 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 whatever it takes. Just keep all of that in mind that we're going to really be delving into some serious spoilers today since we are talking so heavily about movie endings. And Dave, you had suggested this this topic um at uh, two weeks ago with our with our most recent episode that we recorded and when i think of endings um i i think of the simpsons actually the the tv show and there was one episode where homer kind of steps outside of the the show and the story for a moment and breaks the fourth he, wall he, he essentially does break the fourth wall when he asks aloud he's like is this a happy ending or a sad ending and then marge just responds to him by going it's an ending that's enough Sometimes that's all that it is. It's an ending. That's enough. But there are good endings. There are not so good endings. There are sad endings. There are very ambiguous endings to movies sometimes. Um, there's There's a whole list and a whole range. And once I got thinking about movies that I don't like the ending of, that was... That was a little bit challenging at first, but once I thought of a few... It didn't were, take much to get the royal right, wheels rolling. There were more that started to come to mind of, boy, I didn't like how that one ended. Do you want to start on the negative uh, on the negative side of it a little bit, or where did you want to go with, uh, with talking movie endings? You know, the one thing that you kind of brought it up this morning just before we started recording was trilogies, and the middle part oftentimes could end in a cliffhanger. Back to the Future Part 2. Well, here come the spoilers now, so prepare. The marching of the spoilers begins... Back to the Future Part 2 ends on a cliffhanger. Matrix Reloaded ends on a cliffhanger. Repeat, repeat, repeat. But that's a trilogy, and it's a true trilogy. You know, if Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom ended on a cliffhanger, no, no, no. Now it's not only not a trilogy because there's four of them and they're going to eventually do a five part, but it's not a true trilogy. An actual trilogy is one story told over three parts. That's a trilogy. Empire Strikes Back is the middle of a trilogy. Um, I don't know about the sequel trilogy. I don't know if that qualifies as a trilogy, quite honestly. It almost kind of does, but it kind of doesn't. That's another debate. So at the end of Back to the Future Part 2, to help you 
you know, see that it's not just the ending. They showed you the trailer for the next one. They did the same thing with The Matrix Reloaded in the theaters. If you stuck to the end, they showed you the teaser trailer for Matrix Revolutions. So they filmed those movies simultaneously or yep. back-to-back. Uh, Lord of the Rings, that's a true trilogy. It ends yes. on a cliffhanger. Uh, but there's a it's it's the middle part of a big long story. So if it's a true trilogy, I forgive that no problem because it's kind of supposed to. You know, the middle part is always the linchpin, and it's the one that keeps the two, the one and three together. And sometimes it has to end on a cliffhanger, so to speak. But it's like a lot of songs nowadays; they just end immediately. There's no trail out. There's no tiny bow at the end. It just ends, and that's not bad unless that's all you do. If you want a prime example of why the ending of a movie matters so much, I think a great place to look is to a movie that is essentially about movies, The Prestige. Yep. Great, a great movie in, just on, on its own merits, but when you get into the themes of it, The Prestige is a movie about movie making. It's a movie about the competitiveness of the movie industry. It's also about the grand illusion of movies. You have, you have the various pieces of it, the, the three acts that get talked about within the magic trick. Every magic trick yeah. has three parts. That's what, that's what we get told. So what's that last part? That's the part where you've baited the audience in, you've, you've accomplished your feat of, of, in this case, taking something away. Now it's about how you bring it back. And that's what that last part the prestige is all about and that that's part of the wonderment that gets created and then they base they base the movie around that that basic premise um and then they they use that to not only play out the different magic tricks within the movie but also the magic trick of the movie itself but here's and here's where the the big spoiler comes in of course at the end of the movie that the one thing about the movie, though, the way it was constructed, is it exists within its own rules that it sets up. Everything That's right. He, everything he sends through the machine, a duplicate is created. So every time he goes through the machine, it's never really explicitly said on screen until the last shot of the movie. Well, if he's putting hats and cats and things through it, there's a duplicate of those. Wouldn't there be another one of him? Yes, there is. In fact, they're all chained up below the stage Quite in a, a water few. tank. So you see it coming, but it's not advertised, but it's definitely hinted. So that's an example of a very good ending. It does exist within the rules, just the one part you forgot, versus something like the first Mission Impossible movie, which I know you haven't seen, but it's I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it. I'm not planning to watch it. Yeah, I, I'd skip it. I don't want my impression of Jim Phelps ruined. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't blame you. But the, even beyond the Phelps character, there's the whatever the name of the director of the CIA is or whatever that he has that Tom Cruise has the meeting with in the restaurant before he blows up the fish tank. Okay, so it looks like they think that Tom Hanks is the, or Tom Hanks Tom Cruise is the mole. <laughs> It'd be funny if Tom Hanks was hanging off the back of a speeding bus. But I digress. So it's, it was all done for the benefit of people to try to draw the real mole out and Tom Cruise is in on it the whole time. Well, wait a minute. Why would these things happen in basically closed conversation where nobody else is going to benefit from what's being said other than to try to mislead the audience? It's disingenuous. And then you come to the ending and all of a sudden it breaks its own rules to give you a twist that there's no way that anybody could see coming because it didn't follow the rules of logic. Yeah. Well, why would you have a conversation about this to draw out a mole when he's working with you, and you know he's working with you, and nobody else can be privy to your conversation to draw them out in the first place. It's only to deceive the audience. That is an ending that I don't like. 
It just it it was kind of a Mission Impossible movie, sort of, but not really, and that just capped it off. What's great about the metaphor of of what I mentioned with the prestige is that you it speaks to what you were just talking about there, Dave. It's the idea of payoff. That last act of a movie is all about payoff. You have just invested in an hour and a half, two hours, maybe even more, two and a half, even three hours of a movie and this story. You want to have some kind of conclusion that is satisfying for the movie that you've just watched. And yet, some of the best movie endings are the ones that leave you asking so many questions or going, I've got to go back again. So it's not even just a... It's not even just satisfaction in tying everything up with a neat bow at the end. Sometimes the satisfaction is in, I've got to go back. I've got to go back and, and figure this out. I've got, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of a movie you and I both really enjoy watching, The Usual Suspects, is that you have essentially a tied-off ending, although there's, could you say that there's maybe an incompleteness to it? No, sure. No, I wouldn't say that. Well, Why would you no, say that? The incompleteness is in the fact that <laughs> Kaiser Soze just got away. And and that's the incompleteness is like he's gone. He got away. It, it like what happens now? That that's maybe what comes then is what happens now. But the completeness in it is the fact that you're going back now to the beginning going I got to watch this again. I, I got to piece this all together again. That There's a completeness to it and yet an incompleteness of, well, he just got away. What what happens now, like within the world of the movie? And yet for the movie itself, that is the perfectly tied off ending. I, I agree. I think it's I think it's absolutely satisfying in that. I mean, just to use the, the line from the movie, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing Sergeant or you know, Detective Kuyan that the this world. guy didn't exist or That's that this right. other guy who really wasn't was. And then you take the hook, so to speak, and by the time you figure it out, he's gone. You know, that's exactly how it pays out. And that was the goal. It's, you know, Ocean's Eleven isn't laying out the plot for you in advance. It unfolds before your eyes. You think, oh, shoot, they didn't get, oh, wait, they did. You know, so you get away with it. You do get the the heist. This guy, the whole movie really is about coming up with an elaborate story in order for him to get away, to deflect any speculation that nobody would think it's him anyway, and it is, how can he get away and pin it on somebody else, and he does. That's really what The Usual Suspects is really all about. How much of that story that was just told is even at all based on reality (laughs) or completely made up by things around the room. Which you don't realize until the last two minutes of the movie. Yeah, but but like we said, it has to exist within the construct of the movie. So you see the twist of The Usual Suspects, you go back and you rewatch it, and it all falls into place. It works. You get the twist. You have to have an ending. You have to have something that's going to get a payoff. That's great. But does the payoff come out of left field? In the case of, say, Usual Suspects, it does. But it works within the construct of the film. The first Mission Impossible movie comes out of left field. Oh, he was in on it the whole time. Now go rewatch it knowing that. Does it still work? No, it does not. It was just a twist thrown in there. Yeah, but it doesn't work. Eh, do it anyway. I was I like Brian De Palma who directed that movie, and I like the cast, but it, it no, it doesn't work. Do you want to talk about other endings that 
didn't work before we get into some sure. some various ones that did or do you want to go the reverse i'm you know i've got a little list i wrote down but i'm just it's it's a cheat sheet for me just so if i'm in the middle of sure. subject a i can quickly pivot to whatever's on my list without having to oh what was that one i was going to mention i've got it written down so which ones haven't sat well with you well jumping right to the list i just uh didn't watch this but i was watching something about it the movie 2001 you've never seen it before oh i've seen it before i just oh, haven't okay. seen it in a while but I, I was flipping around on something, and I saw something about the movie, and it got me thinking about it. And uh, yeah, it's a notable one. So Space Baby. Yeah. So he, it's I'm not a, I'm on record for saying I'm not a Kubrick fan. I'm just not, and it's just it's not. It, it gets a little weird. I like the story <laughs> of 2001. I just don't like the way it's presented. And it's a beautiful movie. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's a movie with no value. It's a very good movie. But it's a Stanley Kubrick movie, which for me gets demerit points. Between 2001 and The Shining and, um, oh, let me think of another Kubrick movie. That might be the only two that I like that are Kubrick. And I don't love either of them. But 2001, when they filmed it, the book that it was based on was more or less being written at the same time. So it's not, the movie's based on the book, yes. But the book and the movie really, if you look into it, kind of both came up together. That, you know, Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote the book, and Kubrick, they were working together on Kubrick added to the book, Clark added to the movie, and they just, they both came out very close to one another, and they both were made almost simultaneously. The book doesn't leave things to the imagination necessarily, it spells it out, and that's fine, I'm not saying that it has to, but the movie is so ambiguous as to what you're watching, is to the point where you really don't know what you're watching, and it gets to the point where, what did I just see? You know, and you really mean that. And you, I don't know what I just saw. Well, you're supposed to interpret it. Interpret what? You know, he's serving himself dinner as an old man. You can look into a lot of things, but give me something. You know, so I don't like movies that are so ambiguous to the point that it doesn't make sense. That's a good point. And it's presented in such a way that I feel like I didn't sleep last night and I'm just running on nothing and my brain turns to Teflon. Nothing sticks. I don't like that impression. You know, when I was in high school and college and I'd stay up really late and get up really early and have no sleep, after a while you kind of get that fuzzy brain. I feel like that after every Kubrick movie. I don't like it. I just don't like that sensation, whether it's because of sleep deprivation or whatever, you know, mumbo jumbo he's throwing at me. I don't like it. But if you read the book, it's very clear as to what happens. It's a story with a beginning and a middle and an end, and it tells the story. It just drags. And it drags. I mean, you get sucked into the wormhole. It's very beautiful to watch. But what the heck am I watching? Right. Let's and let's get moving. There is a story here. You're not sure about the meaning of it. Again, speaking of payoff, you're not sure about the meaning of it. You're not it, it's almost it almost leaves too much room for interpretation. I'm I'm fascinated when I watch that movie. It, just the the whole idea of it as well as like the visuals are are pretty stunning. But it's funny because when you talk about Kubrick, my favorite Kubrick movie is uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yep. And that movie has <laughs> such a classic ending because it, it you've got... Um, but it's not got, ambiguous. Right. Well, there's some ambiguity some, to yeah. it. You, you've got Dr. Uh, you've got... Um, you, you've got Major Kong... Dropping into so dropping into Soviet Russia on on sitting on an atom riding bomb, riding it like a horse. Yeah, riding <laughs> riding it like a like a horse or a, or a bull. Drop it in there. Then you've got the the biggest minds in the United States and the the biggest government officials in the United States talking about 
um, not having a mine shaft gap with the Soviets uh, as they shift from, well, we're trying to stop this from happening to, well, this is going to happen, so let's make sure that we have a mine shaft and the Soviets don't. Um, and then you've got Dr. Strangelove who suddenly can walk. And then it, it ends on that note, and then you go into, we'll meet again with atomic bomb images. Like, it, it's like... Oh my gosh, this is this is truly dark comedy going on right right here. So that ending, I mean that that dropped I dropped that into the category of really funny endings that also make you go, oh, wow, okay. So different, a completely different kind of ending, and same director, but a completely different kind of ending there. So I know that one bewilders you the most. Um, but it's intentionally so, and yeah. there, there is no correct interpretation, even according to Kubrick himself. It's just, you got to make up your own mind as to what happens. Okay, there's no way we can know if he's talking larger things, like the way that the apes advance to something more modern in the beginning of the movie, and then at the end, maybe humankind is just the beginning, just like the apes were the beginning, but they're going to evolve into some other kind of thing, whether that's the star child and this monolith is there. I like the structure of the 2010 sequel. They made a book and a movie about it. The movie hasn't aged as well, but it's a good movie, and it's not trying to be ambiguous. It's telling you a straightforward sci-fi story right. with you know some ambiguity. Well, how exactly does this work? Well, that's for you to figure out, but it doesn't leave the whole wide, vast prairie to figure out. It's got a nice you know open parameter, but the story exists within the parameter. I could take that. Yeah. For me, there aren't many movie endings that that I can think of that really bother me a lot. Like, oh, that was such a bad ending. There are a couple, though, that stand out that I really don't like. Here, I'll start with this one. This this movie ending has always bothered me. Grease. I don't (laughs) like the ending of Grease. Is it because the car flies away? Well, something like that. I don't like the the conformist nature of it there at the Uh, end. The sellout nature of it. They both do. Olivia Newton-John basically sells out and and totally changes herself for for John Travolta. Like I'm like I'm like come on that this is what we've come to here. It's you've got to completely change who you are to to make this work. Like. Seriously? What what kind of example is that that you're going to set here with this ending? Greece has always bothered me because of that. That ending, uh, the, the way that that ends, always has bothered me. And the funny thing is before the ending, John Travolta does the same thing. He tries to conform into becoming the jock, you know, the, the more like school-spirited type guy rather right. than the rebel. It's selling, and it doesn't work. It's selling out. It's selling out. Uh, so really don't like that. Um the Last Jedi. Not the outfit, you know. The, the last, good. the last Jedi. Yeah. What a, what a terrible ending. They, they all basically sit on a rock pile and they're like, "Well, what did we learn today, guys?" Before flying off on the Millennium Falcon, and then that's it. Yeah. Really didn't like the way that ended. You know, I kind of, I like I said earlier, I kind of alluded to it, and I'll just slightly flesh that out. Is I don't think the sequel trilogy for Star Wars is truly a sequel. I think you know, Rise, The Force Awakens was the opening. Last Jedi basically cut off the trilogy after part two. All out of those storylines yeah. are done. Yeah. And then they tried to glue some of the hair back on the already cut head for the rise of Skywalker. That doesn't work. 
They tried to pick force it into threads. a trilogy. Yeah, the, the, they forced and, it into a trilogy, much like the Hobbit ugh. movies were forced into a trilogy oh, when it, it shouldn't have been. Oh, gosh. It didn't work, and so oh, it doesn't gosh. really. I don't know. You could argue both. Can Isn't we a trilogy not, is not? Can we not talk about the Hobbit trilogy, please? Yeah. That should have been two movies. Um, One movie. It really could have been. One long epic, get it over with movie. Here's another one. No Country for Old Men. Really didn't like the ending to No Country for Old Men. I I sat there after watching that for the first time, and I was like, where did we just go with this? Like, it leaves you feeling very hollow, which there are some hollow movie endings that kind of leave you with a chill. No Country for Old Men, I just felt hollow in a what exactly did we just accomplish here kind of way. You have you have Tommy Lee Jones telling you this very odd story, uh, two stories at the very end, and then it cuts to black and the movie's over. I'm like, what exactly did we just achieve here? I, I didn't feel like that achieved anything over the course of a very bleak movie on the whole. Again, very ambiguous ending, but it was too ambiguous. I was I was just left like, what exactly just happened here? It kind of reminds me of a smaller budget movie called $20. Uh, it's got a somewhat well-known cast, but it's kind of almost like a Pulp Fiction. It follows a $20 bill as it ha- travels you know, from one person's hands <laughs> to the next, so to speak. But as wow. it enters each person's life... It tells their you know fifteen minute version of the story before the twenty dollars is paid to somebody else. Then you get to see their story. No country for old men is almost like this cursed money in a lot of ways. You know, you've got this guy that's going to hide it. You think that yeah. Josh Brolin's going to be the lead star of this movie, and in a way he is, but he doesn't make it out and very undignified way. Well, maybe Woody yeah. Harrelson is really nope. He doesn't make it. Even the killer doesn't. Well, no, he doesn't make. It's almost like the futility of violence is almost what the story is yeah, because that... everyone that works so hard to either keep the money or to get the people, it ultimately is for naught in the end. And all you have left is the lawman, Tommy Lee Jones, like, well, there you go. You know, almost as if it's the futility of it. For me, that that kind of works, but I understand where you're coming from. It didn't, it just didn't really explain it well enough. It, it just left it so flat in the end. And you're just like, I, I, don't see the point here. But what you described there on the whole of the movie, that is a bit, a bit of a better explanation. Another movie... According to me. What do I know? According to you. Um, there are a couple of others that, that really weren't very good. Spider-Man 3's ending really sits with me, too. That was just a rough ending. Yeah. I mentioned in, I mentioned Avengers Infinity War. Um, it's almost unfair that to say that great. Spider-Man 3, though, is a bad ending, because it's just a bad everything. Uh, that movie is not yeah. a good movie. Yeah. It had too many cooks. It had a lot of potential, but it doesn't work. Here's, here's one that's a classic movie, which... Its ending really <laughs> continues to bother me. Um, the Bridge on the River Kwai. I really don't like how the Bridge on the River Kwai. I've seen that in such a long time. They I've spend seen it. they spend all this time during the movie building the bridge and and speaking of the merits of building the bridge, and then you have William Holden coming back essentially on a recon mission to blow up the bridge, and then he's fighting with his own side, his own. Um, his own side in the war and Alec Guinness to blow this up. And then Alec Guinness is like, what have I done at the end? And then finally they actually do blow the bridge up, which um, isn't historically accurate either, almost at the cost of everybody involved. But it just, again, another ending where you go, 
what did we just accomplish in the last three hours here? I don't know if we actually accomplished anything. Maybe it's one of those where it's not plot-driven, but it's character-driven. Yeah. You know, what ultimately the MacGuffin is, the bridge, which isn't accurate. The bridge survives in real life. It's based, it's based <laughs> yeah. on a real event. I don't think the actual bridge they built is still around now. I mean, we're replacing an old railroad bridge here in Bemidji that's 120 years old. That bridge would be, I don't know how old now, but uh, I don't think it's around anymore, but I know it okay. lived longer than it is in the movie. Let's talk some good endings. Well, then. I got a couple of bad. Oh, ones you've I got don't a couple like. to get into. All right. You know, we talk. I'm a horror movie fan. We've talked about them before. You got to have a good ending on these things, and not that you're looking for really a satisfying. You you're, you need a satisfying ending, of course, in a horror. And it movie. doesn't need to be pleasant. Doesn't have to be pleasant. I've definitely learned that. Sinister. I was like. Oh my gosh, by oh, the yeah. end of that movie, I was like, this is awful. This is horrible, but it's a satisfying ending, but it's horrible. Well, <laughs> I didn't leave feeling satisfied. I left feeling genuinely creeped out by the end of that movie. Well, it's a horror movie. You're yeah. suppo- it's not yeah, the Lord of an Annie. You're supposed to. But, but, I, but. <laughs> not, but nothing. Good. But tie it off in a more pleasant way. Instead, you've got this little girl and all these children and this very, very, very creepy entity that are all together at the end, and they just killed a family. For me, uh, one of the all-time horror classics, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, and many of the others also fall into the same trap. It's a good story. It really is. Right up until the the final girl gets captured and gets strapped to the chair for the family dinner scene, and it goes on and goes on and goes on. It's not the ending of the movie. Eventually, it does have a decent ending, but it's that last, it's like driving up a hill on a, in an automatic stick shift car, and the car ca- 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 starts to stall. And it finally gets up the hill, but it's the stall where it's drifting backward into San Francisco Bay where you're thinking, oh, geez, this has been such a good movie right up until now. You come for the movie podcast, you stay for Dave's metaphors. It just, yeah. the, I mean, it just <laughs> goes on. Okay, let's show how crazy these people are. Okay, noted. Moving on. Nope, we're going to keep and keep and keep and keep. I could do this get all it. night. They're nuts. And then finally, you know we have to actually end this movie, right? It's only as if they had to have a 90-minute movie, but they only had an hour's worth of material. So they had to drag out a particular scene, and they do the same thing in the second one and the third one. And the I mean, it's just ugh. if they'd figured it out, which they finally did when they did the remake in two thousand three or whatever it was, that was good all the way through it. I think that's the best of the bunch, to tell you the truth, out of all the Texas Massacre movies. Well, they had enough chances to, <laughs> yeah. to figure out how not to end it. Somebody figured out how to do a good reboot, and of course that started a whole trend through the 2000s and the 2010s where every horror movie you'd ever heard of got remade, some that were good and some that weren't so good. Another one I don't like is Swordfish. John Travolta, Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, it's about a computer hacker, and a movie is not the best movie anyway. It's one of those movies that when it's on TV and you're flipping channel, ooh, that's Hugh Jackman, I'll see what this is, and you don't change the channel and you're kind of entertained, but when the movie's over, you go, eh, and you hit the channel button again and flip to the next thing. That's the kind of movie it is. But it tries to be cute at the end. You know, it tries to get you, a, you know, you seen the movie, you know where we're going? With Swordfish? Swordfish? No, I haven't. Well... Spoilers alert have, have been said, and I don't think you right. need to cover your ears because it's not that kind of movie that well, you need to see it unspoiled. <clears throat> it's It comes down to a heist at the end of the movie, 
And John Travolta is a terrorist, essentially, or is he? Halle Berry's kind of uh, a go-between, and Hugh Jackman is a computer hacker that makes this whole thing work. The cops are onto him, and they blow up this getaway thing, and of course, John Travolta presumed dead. But you find out he's not really dead. And they try to play it cute by saying something at the end of the movie just before the end happens. Hey, not everything ends the way you think it should. Oh, so that's going to be an excuse for you not writing an actually good ending that you can't see 15 miles away from this? Oh, because we put in a cute line about endings, we could do whatever we want. Yep. No, you can't. That's that's coming up with well we have to have an ending that's not that a makes good no excuse. sense. Yeah, it's not it's, a good it's excuse. It's not good. It tries to be cute and it's it's no. No, that's just lazy writing. And I'm I'll go one more. Uh it's not a movie but it's a star it's a TV show that I'm a fan. Of. I'm a big Star Trek fan. I'm not a fan of Star Trek Voyager for a lot of reasons. Mm. But a lot of it is they think up a good problem but the solution is way too easy. And it started at the end of The Next Generation, the last season, they started doing this. They started getting a little lazy. Well, we'll think up an interesting problem that would actually have an interesting solution in earlier seasons, but we're just going to realign this main deflector, such and such pulse, and it'll fix everything. And it does it again and again and again and again and again and again. It's too easy of a show. That show should have been, it's a brand new ship. First maiden voyage, and it gets stranded on the far end of the universe, and it's got to limp its way back. By the time that ship gets back to Earth, which it does, spoiler alert, it should barely resemble its original self. You know, some battle happens. Well, this relay's blown out. Well, we don't have any more relays like that to repair. We need to do something. Well, what about this planet? It's got like a vine that we learned can conduct electricity. Well, let's fill the cargo bay with this vine and we'll use it to repatch the ship. So like Back to the Future 3, where the microchip gets blown out by the lightning bolt, they rebuild it in 50s technology with transistor tubes strapped to a Coke bottle box to the hood of the DeLorean to make it work. That whole ship should have looked like that when it finally gets back to Earth limping home. We had to make the best with what we could possibly do, but it turned into the office in space. Every episode <laughs> starts with the with the crew walking down the corridors with their rack to Gino. Well, time for another day in the office. There's no more fun exploration in space because it's another day, another dollar. Rather than battling to get through yes. the far reaches of space. The, the whole yeah. overall arc just doesn't exist. Hey, we haven't said anything about that it's going to take 70 years to get home. Well, let's throw in a little line about that and we'll move forward. <laughs> It just doesn't work overall. It just it kind of doesn't, and it's it could have been so much better. It's not a bad show, but it does not live up to the bar that had been set by other Star Trek shows. Eh. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters. We're talking endings today, movie endings. I want to switch it over now to the good, some of the good stuff, and and then later I I want to get into some of the things in between the the endings that actually feel pretty satisfying but do leave a lot of question marks um and actually along those lines some of my favorite endings some of the good endings dave are are ones that are kind of open-ended or mysterious because they get you thinking like but again they've set you up with enough there that to leave it ambiguous at the end actually works for the movie but i life you don't always get a definite answer in life but at least it lives within the conformities of how you've constructed everything that's come in the story before and if it's not a for sure ending at least it works but along those same lines too i love those shock endings those those ones that that surprise you in the end we talked the usual suspects a little bit earlier we talked about the prestige 
um, some classic shock endings. How about Memento? I knew you were going there. Yeah, I you, knew you, you were get, going there. You get endings like that, but I. How about this one though? Too. I was watching back the end of this movie last night in preparation for this, and it, it's one of the it's one of the classic twist endings in, in movies. Shutter Island. Yeah. Big big twist ending. Two twists at yeah. the end. First, the fact that you realize that he is a, that Leonardo DiCaprio's character is a mental patient there on this island. And then you also realize at the very, very end, he knows that he he had gone off the deep end. And he would rather... Pretend he didn't. He would rather, yeah, pretend he didn't and finally get the chance to leave behind who he once was um, by going for the lobotomy in the end than to continue living on with the memory of that. You get just a slight glimpse of that. At the very end, boy, talk about a couple of major, major twists that you get in the story at the very end when you've just been set up for it the whole way through. That movie, I think, is a better version of another movie that I think is in the same cut from the same cloth called Identity with John Cusack and Amanda Peet and Ray Liotta. It's actually a pretty good cast. Uh, and it's. Uh, it's how, it starts off like, and then there were none, like a very Agatha Christie thing. All these people are stranded at a hotel in the middle of the desert under a thunderstorm, and they can't get out. But then clearly some other forces come into play. You can't leave. I mean, like almost in a supernatural way, you can't leave. And you think, oh, this is interesting. Is it an Indian burial ground? Is it what's going on exactly? And then you find out that it's actually not at all what it seems. It's all taking place in the mind of a mental patient, and he's got multiple identities. And the there these are all these people are each an identity, and they're all kind of finally narrowing themselves down to the one by murdering off the other identities in his mind in this hotel. You do not see it coming at all. You just don't. You just know that something's not right and something's not adding up. And well, what? How is? Why is? And then it doesn't matter anyway because it's all in your head. It almost comes across like a cheat, but not really because it does hold up to its rules. Almost. But when it's all in your mind, it's like when Freddy Krueger pulls you into a nightmare, logic and physics don't have to work because it's not (laughs) real. It's all in your mind anyway. It's all something else. So because it doesn't work, it does work. So it's 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 a very similar Shutter Island-y kind of story. Yeah. But I think Shutter Island was done another notch better. I mean, it's a Scorsese movie. It doesn't seem like one, but it is. Yeah. Those those shock endings though, they I mean, they they stick with you because sometimes it's like, should I have seen this coming? Sometimes, though, it it makes some real sense, too. Empire Strikes Back, boy, that hits you like a ton of bricks when Darth Vader suddenly real, reveals that he's Luke's father. And you go, wait, wait a second. We've been told this and this all the way through. And then it's like... What I said was true from a certain point of view. Right, exactly. We were told that, too, but... But then there's there's also when you get caught up in the world that that you're in and then you don't realize maybe a truth that's been there the whole time. Think of the planet of the apes that yeah. that ending that's there where it's like he was on earth the whole Whoa, time. Oh, this was us. This was earth. This was you maniacs. Yeah, you, you blew it up. Yep, you're feeling like Charlton Heston there at the end. What speaking of Charlton Heston, what about Soylent Green? At the I don't very think I ever end, saw that one. you've never seen Soylent Green. No. Okay, so another futuristic uh, kind of movie where future time overpopulation is immense. 
different various classes of people um, are are living in different ways. Um, but a lot of people are disappearing, though, too, uh, just at random amidst all of this overpopulation. Well, what are you dealing with? You're dealing with a, a food problem there. Do you do you want me to get into what the ending on that is? Since... Go, ahead, go ahead. Okay. We've been warned for spoilers. Well, um, with Soylent Green, uh, this, Charlton Eston plays this detective who's who's trying to solve um, this murder case that that's going on. What he discovers is this far-ranging conspiracy um, surrounding this company that produces this much beloved food item that has come out that that people people are treating this food item as as the saving grace for the world essentially as a as a means of consumption well what does he discover it's the, made of school teachers at the very end you know he's being carried off after being wounded in this last battle and what he what is he screaming to to the world for them to know Soylent Green is people, is what he's saying as he's being let off and carried away. He's, you suddenly realize You're all it at the very end. Yeah. So, Sounds um, like a lovely Disney film. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep. But those those shock endings. It sounds like I mean, a much less uh, Texas-based Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Except it's a factory and a meat grinder. Yeah, and it, it's very sci-fi and, and futuristic. <laughs> but but when you get those shock endings that have been building toward that moment, and then you're like, "Whoa, wait a second! The, the, how about this?" Sometimes though, it's it's in other ways too. Sometimes it it's a tension-filled ending that leads to a shock. Um, great example of that is is a movie I discovered this past year, The Cincinnati Kid, with um, Steve McQueen mm-hmm. and Margaret. Edward G. Robinson um, about this this card player um, who's who's played by Steve McQueen this, who wants to get his shot at the man Clancy who uh, is played by Edward G. Robinson and finally he gets his shot at him in this this long card game that plays out over the last third of the movie or thereabouts um, and all the tension that comes with that and the kid is he he's roping him in. He's roping him in, but he's got these other people on the outside influencing it who they want to throw the game. They want to throw the game, and he doesn't. He wants to beat the man straight up. But then what does that lead to at the very end? One final big hand where it looks like— Every card game comes down to the one yeah, big hand. It comes down to one big hand where both both players, both players could very well have a, a huge, huge hand. Well, what ends up happening— the kid thinks he's got him, but Clancy, Edward G. Robinson, he's got a royal flush. And he drops that last car down, and then Norman Jewison, it, he zooms in on everybody's eyes and just the, the looks of shock and then on the cards, and then the music goes with it, too. It's that kind of moment of, no way. And, and then the kid finally is taken down in that that moment of hubris now he bring, he's come back to earth all of a sudden and and there's a couple of things that happen after that at the very end of the movie that sort of reflect that that back to earth nature of it so yeah an ending like that too when it's tension filled and then suddenly there's the shock of of whatever happens ending. yeah and not quite a happy ending and that's it? okay well, co- well kind of he and he and his girlfriend christian they get they get back together in the end um after after having a bit of a, a rift earlier be, because of ann margaret um 
but there, but there's also a melancholy kind of feeling to it. Speaking of melancholy endings, I'll get to that in a little bit. But any shock endings to add on there, Dave? Because those are sometimes the the best ones. Is the ones that really they punch in the gut, like oh, whoa, wow. Uh, the one that's coming to mind right now isn't a shock ending, like oh my god, no. It's almost the the most the opposite of that. It's a positive shock, and you got to go field of dreams. Yeah, you know, you yeah. if you can kind of connect some dots, but you don't think his dad is going to be amongst the players. And not only that, he's the catcher who's got the mask on, so you can't really see his face anyway. And he's always throughout the story. You you see a couple pictures of him early on, and then that's it. He's just kind of referred to. And if you build it, he will come. He's the dad. And he finally gets to have a reconciliation with his dad. And it's never explicitly said that the dad realizes that it is his son, but it's kind of hinted at, hey, dad, you want to have a catch? I'd like that. You know, yep. it's one of those few movies that'll make grown men cry, you know, including me. I'll get a little, you know, teary-eyed, a little, little misty. But it's such a great ending, and it's it's it is exists within the construct. It's l- clearly leading to it. And if you watch the movie again when you know what happens, you see that it's coming. And it's 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 a great ending, and it is a shock because you don't see it coming yeah. until it's finally oh, oh and this it makes kinda, sense now. It hits you emotionally because just like it hits the character, who is that? It's my father. Oh, the whole movie's been yep. in, in a way about that. Yep. That's a great shock ending. Another one that I really love that you and I have brought up numerous times throughout the podcast. So I don't think we brought it up in a while, so we're due the Shawshank Redemption. It's got to have one of the best endings I've ever seen in a movie, and that's I one of the that, things that makes I it. I put that under one of the most satisfying movie endings. Yeah, I was like, just about to say. Super satisfying. Like, yeah. speaking of tying it off in a bow, between the music and the way that that all ends, yeah. But but before that, you get the shock of how it got to that. Well, yeah, yeah. but I mean, it still exists within the construct. The real theme of the movie is hope. You know, in a prison, there's the one commodity. It's a good thing. The most thing. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, Red, and it never really dies. And you think he's going to go up there and off himself because he's got a rope and he's just solitary and it's the longest night of my life. And the next morning you open up the jail cells and he doesn't step out. You expect the, the warden to go in there and he's hanging from a noose. But instead, the cell is completely empty. Well, how did he get out? He tunneled through the wall and got the what? What? And the, and the money laundering, it's just so satisfying the way it ends. And you don't think that it's a Stephen King story, because it is. You know, it's based off of one of his small, short stories. And the movie, we've said famously, didn't do well at the box office, because it's a prison movie, it's a, show, it's a Stephen King, I don't think. But then TNT started showing it a lot, and people were flipping channels, and they'd land on right. it, and they'd see, whoa, you got to see this next yeah. time the Shooby-Doo she comes on, because nobody could say the name of the movie either. And now it has gone on to become an American classic that people can't believe wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. It really came in under the radar. People dismissed it immediately, and it's only in the years since it became huge. And that's why it is so good, and the ending is so amazingly perfect. Sometimes perfect endings are not necessarily ones that tie everything off. True. And in a way, that is their way of tying off the movie. Is is leaving things a little open ended. Here's a great example: Shane at the very end of Shane. Yeah. You know, Shane guns down the the uh, the main antagonists in the movie, and then he leaves he leaves the 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 little boy, little Joe, behind. And Joey is is yelling off behind Shane, "Come back, 
back, Shane. And we know Shane's been shot, too. We know that he's hurt. And he just kind of rides off. It leaves a lot of ambiguity. And yet... Is he dead in the saddle? Right. And yet, you also have this really deep feeling of satisfaction with the way that that movie ends. Inception. Classic ambiguity, ambiguous kind of ending. Are they in a dream or are they not? And then the speculation that that fueled with the top spinning at the end. It's great, too, because with an ending like that, you don't need a sequel. And and there's no sequel that should come from something like that. It leaves you asking questions and asking good questions at the very end of, of how it all ended. Or it makes you think about, about that. The Candidate, another great ending. Now what? Now what? Robert Redford asking asking Peter Boyle, "What do I do now?" You know, now that he's now that he's been elected, which he he to, he was told was not going to happen. Now he's like, "What do I do now?" It and, almost echoes future events. And and then you know the door he gets hounded out of the room. The room's left empty, and you're left feeling, "Wow." Huh. This this doesn't feel complete and yet it feels complete. It feels like it's the right kind of ending. Um I'll tell you another good one. Yeah. A good Tim Burton movie. I brought it up before, Big Fish. It's another one that you want to Yeah, see we got another fans walking by Big Fish. It's a good if you've never seen it, it's a good father-son movie. But it's very Tim Burton-esque. It's I brought it up before and it's about a father who is dying. And he's estranged from his son. Well, his son comes home because dad's not going to be around much longer. And it's one that speaks personally to me. Um, I couldn't watch it for a long time after my dad died. And finally, some weekend, I was all alone. And I was like, all right, here's the time. And of course, sure enough, it was a waterworks show. I'm not afraid to say it. But it's one of those that, you know, one of the reasons that the father and son become so estranged is because all these stories, according to the son, are all lies. They're all over the top. And I didn't actually marry my wife. She was a fish, and I caught her in the river, and she turned into a, what? You know, and he's just, he's, I don't like this, this, this detachment from reality. And the husband is like, look, hey, you know, people will tell you a story, too. It, you know, it's going to have an ending and a beginning and a middle, but it's not going to be very interesting. It's not going to be very memorable. So basically, he embellishes the story. So after he dies and you go to the funeral, all these people are showing up that you've seen throughout the course of the movie, and it is apparent that these aren't all lies. They're based on something very much resembling what you're seeing. You know, there's no way he met a giant, but sure enough, out of one of the cars, the funeral is this ginormous guy and these people from the circus, and maybe the twins aren't conjoined physically, but clearly they're there, and so it's based on something, you know, like... Wow. I mean, he really maybe didn't embellish quite as much as you think he did. And also, the son gets in on the end because the the father knows he's going to die, but he doesn't know the ending of his own story. Huh. So the son has to tell him how it ends as his father dies. And it's 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 an ending that for fathers and sons to watch. Even talking about it right now, I'm just kind of, <sighs> just for a moment. Mm. Because it does base in reality for all of us at some point where we are going to, unless we outlive, our parents outlive us, we're all going to go through it. That's another great point that you bring up there, Dave, because there are some very melancholy endings to movies that that but strangely it's... feel really satisfying, too, where you have such a melancholy feel or even such a sad feeling when you watch the end of the movie, and yet it's very poignant, and it's a very good one to end on. Like... Um, with that, or or like Goodwill Hunting, you you feel a little sad at the end of Goodwill Hunting with with what it took to get to that point for 
for Will to to finally have that breakthrough. And yet there's this feeling of hope as well of he's he's finally stepping into into his future to go see about a girl. You yeah. know, there's there's a little bit of hope that that comes with that. There's there's kind of that uplift a little bit more of an uplifting feeling. Um, but there is some melancholy. You know, romantic movies bring a little bit of that sometimes um, with the way that they end where. You know, it feels a little sad at the end, but but there's also some good. Sometimes, sometimes though, it's an emotional gut punch that that brings you to that point, or you feel very emotionally drained. You know, war movies are like that quite a bit. Like end of 1917, boy, you just feel you feel tired at the end of a movie like that of just all that they went through to get to that point um, within that movie, or yeah. Sometimes the melancholy is is just the right kind of ending that you need, just like you described there. Well, Big Fish, I don't know if I'd go quite melancholy. It very well could have gone that way. But to me, it feels like at the end of a good cry, it's been a hard journey, but you feel better at the end. So it's Mm. – my dad passed away, and it was – not that he made up tall tales, but the ending of it is kind of like that in a a little bit. So for me, it speaks personal. And uh, it's a tough one to watch, but for good reasons, and I don't mind watching it. Yeah. Um, and I think Albert Finney, slightly, I don't think I'd use him as a stunt double for my dad, but there's a resemblance there. You know, if they were on the other side of a field, I could confuse the two. Have so, you, Have you ever watched an ending to a movie and, and you went, you feel like it's very, you feel very hollow at the end of it, or like... How can it end like this? And yet, you also think this is the right kind of ending. Because that's how I felt at the end of Sunset Boulevard when I watched that movie. Boy, you you watch the end of that movie and she's like, get ready for my close-up and down the steps she goes toward the camera. And you're like... This is nuts. We, I mean, the narrator's been killed. He, he's told this story. Like, th- this feels so hollow, and yet there's something right about the way that this movie is ending. Yeah. Um, Fight Club. Very hollow, bewildering ending to that movie. It's uh, extremely bewildering in some ways with the way that that movie ends. And yet, I, I think it kind of suits... Just what a strange movie that is. The Departed. But as a David Fincher, and that's they're yeah. always a little off. There's, they're, they're all good, but there's something off. The Departed, another movie where, yeah. boy, what a, what, a hollow, what a hollow ending that is. But it, it, again, it kind of it kind of suits. Oh, but Jack Nicholson will live. He's Jack. He's gone. No. Yeah. Oh, but but uh, uh, Leonardo, he'll live. No, oh, he's gone too. Yep, everybody's getting knocked off. Nobody's good. Well, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg comes in. He was the uh, the Trump card there yeah. at the end of that movie. I'll but tell you this. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying, though, about that oh, yeah. hollow feeling sometimes? This is The best example I can give you isn't a movie, but it's uh, Bates Motel, which is based off the Psycho movies. It's on Netflix right now. It's a great show, but it... Some shows give you. Well, something. I wrote Psycho down among those hollow endings. Well, yeah. this so Bates Motel is basically the prequel that leads up to the movie. However, the 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 last season of the show is essentially a loose retelling of the original movie. But what you saw in the movie and what's going to happen in the show are vastly different things. It's not a strict retelling, but it's clearly inspired by. And but it is some movies give and some shows take away. This one takes away. It's you're just watching the erosion of people and a family, and it leaves you feeling like I need a, a hug, I need a shower, I need I need candy, I need something. But did I need it sunshine. feel like the right kind of ending? Yes, it works. 
but it's so damned depressing. It's just, it's just, it takes away. You just sitting there in the chair. The credits are long since over. Netflix is like, would you like to watch another show? And you're just too busy <sighs> panting in your chair because it just sucked everything out of you. Like my. God, could it be any more tragic? You know, I mean, the story of Psycho anyway yeah. is tragic, and it's got a, a satisfying ending. He gets arrested, he goes to jail, great. But you're not watching this man being stripped away like an onion. And, you know, the show has a brother for Norman Bates, which doesn't exist in the movie. It doesn't exist in the book. It's its own thing. But it's just, it's, it's a great show, but it's horrible. Yeah, draining. Dra- yeah. Draining is another great word for it. I recommend it, but it is, you're going to need a hug and a sunny, shiny day. It's just, ugh. Yeah, that's, uh, that reminds me, too, of a movie I, I just watched again a couple of weeks ago, The Manchurian Candidate, the original Manchurian Candidate, which is a terrific movie. But again... Who's the actress in that again? I, Janet see, Lee. Yeah, that's right. You feel, Psycho, yeah. You feel emotionally gut-punched at the end of that movie. You just you, you feel terrible for um, for Lawrence Harvey's character, that he, that he reached that point where he had to do that to to get out, to to do what he did at the end to get out of the hypnosis and to avoid killing this major political figure and 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 you just feel a little deflated i mean there but again it's the right kind of ending and the, and the right way to wrap it up for that movie it not ev- not every good ending is is a really happy ending, which is kind of a bummer. But there are some really happy, satisfying, and even very powerful endings, though, to movies too that um, that just work. But it'll come it'll come at a cost sometimes, or it'll be sad. Like um, you know, at the end of Glory, you feel very sad yeah. at the end of the, that movie, and yet it boy it resonates. It's historically it accurate home. too. Saving Private Ryan, you feel sad at the end of that movie, and yet there's this. There's this real feeling of, I mean, there's a moving feeling that comes with the end of that movie and the way that it's, that it's all tied up. It's sad, but not sad. Because yeah. what is said on the bridge, earn it. He did. Yeah. You know, and that's what is said in the cemetery in the here and now. Do, you know, Am I a good man? Yes, you are. And saying it right by the grave so your captain can, so to speak, hear it, you've earned this. Good reminder uh, with, with movie endings. Don't give off the impression of an ending too often, and then you don't actually end it until later on in the movie. Looking at you, Return of the King. Very, very emotionally gut-punching end of the movie, and you you feel so... It's so powerful, and yet too many false endings within there, too many cuts to black. It's like, what's the ending? What's the ending? What's the ending? Like, it keeps on happening. It's like... Uh, if they would have just done a little bit better editing there, it could have been a little bit different, and it still it still hits home emotionally at the end of the journey there. But and and at the end, you feel wow. Let me tell you about the about end that. of Return of the King. Hove. But yes, Dave. It, watching it at home on video or streaming is a whole different experience because that what is that movie? Three and a half hours long. I mean, literally, it yes. is a long movie. Yep. Your butt, A, can only take so much. B, your bladder can only fill so full. And you know the smallest size they sell at the movie theater is the big Bladder Buster 4000. So now you're at the end of a three and a half hour movie. You're sitting there with your pinching things off on code yellow. You're going to burst the dam. Finally, the movie fades to a a good conclusion, satisfying, fades to black, time to pee. I got to go. And it fades up again. You're like, oh, okay, okay. 
fades away again. Oh, I really got to go. Fades back. Come on, man. Now you're not enjoying the movie anymore because I got to pee and you're looking at your cup like, dare I take care of business here in the theater because it's going to be a problem. I don't want to go to the bathroom because you know this ending is going to be over in five minutes and I'm going to miss whatever the ending, 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 ending is. Did this happen to you? Yes. No, I did not do anything to the cup. But you're looking at it like, I don't know. This was horrible. It was oh, a, I, that's, the funny thing is oh, this. Dave. I remember the movie, but you know what I remember most about the movie? Being so desperate for the movie to end because I had to go. Three and a half hours and a giant, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> it's time to go. Plus, oh. I think we had dinner before we went to the movie, so oh, I had no. you know, a drink there and yeah. then a drink at the theater. I mean, you could hear the sirens. The dam's going to break. The dam's going to break, but you got to see what's going to happen. You can only <sighs> plug holes for so yes. long. I yep. was literally legs crossed, hand pinching. Just I couldn't trust my, you know, my pectoral muscle or whatever it was to, to hold things back. I was. I think I hopped with one leg crossed over. And I wasn't alone. I think everybody was like that. It was, you know, I think some guy was carrying a full cup out. It was, it was just, it was way too much. It was, I get it. It's an end. It's the end of an epic and you end an epic with an epic, but three endings that fade to black and come back. Come on, man. Well, speaking of ending, we're getting close to wrapping up the podcast episode for today, but I want to, I want to raise a question. I got two more before. Oh, two more movies. I got two more. Go for it. Yeah. I'll go quick. One of them we've mentioned. We showed a little love to sneakers. One of my favorites voted in 19. I remember when I, before I read the, before I even saw the movie, it was voted the most satisfying ending of 1992 when it came out. All right. And it's, it's hackers that get this chip and they're just trying to steal this box back that can hack into any system so they can maybe cut a deal with the government. Not only do they get a deal to not go to prison, but they basically get their wish list fulfilled, you know, what they were going to get for this original deal. And on top of that, they give them the box back, but they've pulled out the needed chip that actually makes the thing work. And then they still use it. The Republican the Republican committee says they're bankrupt. They had all kinds of money yesterday, and now they don't know where it's going. Because you know that they just hacked into it, but all these charities have received these nice funds, large anonymous donations. It's, it's a movie that's fun. It's about serious things, but it doesn't take itself seriously, and it pays off well in the end. Highly recommended. And the last one I'll bring up is one of the classics. They say it's one of the best of all time. Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah. And yes. what this guy's motivation was. Yeah. What's this rosebud? You keep thinking, oh, maybe it's like Skyfall. It's an ancestral estate or something. No, it's his sled. Little wooden yep. sled when he was a kid. That's all he wants. This Great giant, mention. Imagine Ted Turner building this giant media empire. Rupert Murdoch building a giant empire. And all he really wants isn't all this mountain of that he's built. He just wants this little thing that when he was a kid that he believes is gone and it's just you know yeah it's 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 that's what that's all it was about wow that's something so simple yep i um another one too it's part of it's part of what makes it my favorite all-time movie but i i love the ending of lawrence of arabia because you have this feeling that lawrence for all of his efforts has been undermined by greater forces in the end and he was just trying to find a place in the world and yet here he is essentially being cast out of that world, sent back to England while the the political the political entities involved in getting them to Damascus are starting to bicker over what's going to happen now. And and um and you have um Anthony Quayle's character who realizes this um there at the very end. Um and he 
he then goes he goes after Lawrence to you know to to say something but by this point Lawrence Lawrence is gone and he realizes he actually was uh, I mean he really meant all that he was doing uh, to this point um while all, all these other bloodthirsty sharks were waiting around for their chance to jump in the water and to to fight over scraps of land but Lawrence Lawrence actually really loved what he was doing and even though he was split between worlds Essentially, so you've got Colonel Dryden. That's that's who he is. Um, who wants to run off after? It's a lot like dances that. with wolves in a way. And then he, Lawrence is being driven off out of the desert, and and the guy driving him goes, "Well, sir, going home." Except it's not home for Lawrence, and he passes by all these guys who are singing on, on these uh, going going off and in there, and plus you see an allusion to his eventual death with the motorcycle driving past them off in the distance, and then just the little twinge of the music at the very end as you watch Lawrence's forlorn face. Just, it, I feel like it wraps up that movie so yeah. perfectly. Like I said, sometimes it's sometimes it's a very simple melancholy or even a, a incomplete ending that feels so complete. And the first time I watched Lawrence of Arabia, I was like, wow, that... That seals it off. I mean, that that really seals off the story neatly, even though you don't have a f- bit of finality on the ending. It, I mean, you en- you begin at the ending with his life um, at the beginning of the movie, and then you go into his life from there, but it worked. So now the big question to wrap up the, the show, Dave, is do you feel the ending is the most important part of a movie? Do you feel the ending is the most important part of a movie in terms of the structure of it. Yes. Straight up simple, yes. You, you need an ending. You need a roof on a house. Yes. Otherwise, you don't have a house. If you have a story, you have to have the beginning, you have to have the middle, and you have to have the ending. That's how a story works. If you don't have an ending, you don't have a full story. You've got something very entertaining that doesn't have an ending. You have to find the way to do it. And whether you're going to, you know, some stories are written backwards. I know how it needs to end. I'm going to write it backwards so that it all kind of works in a structural kind of way. So it's all tied up. Now I got to get the strings to where they start from. Depends on how you do it, but there has to be an ending. And if you don't stick the landing, I don't care how many flips and twists you did in the air doing the vault. If you don't stick the landing, you don't get the gold medal. Just to jump in quick, I think the some of the best movies and TV shows are put together in that manner that you just described, where they've got the ending in mind and then they piece everything together to get there, especially with TV shows, because sometimes it feels like they just drag out and they're not sure what the ending is that they're moving toward. Game of Thrones struggled with that. They weren't sure what they wanted their endgame to be. Uh. If you've got got a good, solid, strong ending in mind and you're building the rest of your story off of that premise, like, for instance, Breaking Bad, one of my favorite TV shows, it's Mr. Chips becomes Scarface. That's what you're working toward for your ending. How do you get there? How do you build toward it? Just wanted to add that on. Outside interference is a big problem. You mentioned Game of Thrones. What was the outside interference there? They're t- painstakingly, meticulously going through, and they're working towards Source something. material, yeah. And then they get a deal with Disney to do Star Wars. Well, we got to get out of here. Let's end this thing. HBO is like, no, we can go longer. Like, no, we're going to end this right now because they wanted to get off of that ship and go somewhere else. Let's just cut everything off. And it just it did not serve the purpose. If they had just gone and they'd gone to their original goal and to where they knew things were going to 
and actually let it play out, I would have, everyone would be much better about season eight and nine and ten because I'm sure it would have done that, and it would have been great all the way through. It didn't happen like that. How many times do you hear about a movie that starts shooting and they did not have a completed script? Well, sometimes you have to improvise in midair, and you can still stick the landing. It just almost happened by accident, but with great skill. And other times, it's pretty apparent they didn't have a script. They just kind of went. And so, you know, we talked about Star Wars. Originally, there was an idea that they were going to do for this whole arc, and then they let Ryan Johnson do kind of whatever he wanted to do with The Last Jedi, and he did, and it just screwed up all the other plans. So everything that they were going to do for Episode Nine, well, how can we do that now? You did this. We have to glue hair back on because you screwed us up with this. That's the problem. And so if you have a good ending, sometimes it feels like we need to get the movie out. We need to make it. And this time we'll get you two weeks to shoot it, two weeks to edit it. Are you kidding me? There's no way that can be done. Well, we got to get it in the theaters by this day. So just get it done. What do you want? A product or do you want something good? We need a product, product, product. And the movie reflects that. You know, we well, we got to do another one. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. I don't care, but let's do it. That's how you get a Caddyshack too. That's how you get Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. That's how you get these horrible movies that have no business being as horrible as they are, especially with the talent involved behind and in front of the camera. And forget about the ending. The whole thing is a mess. The ending is the payoff. Yes. It's what it's all about. It's what you have been working toward with everything else that is taking place within the movie. And then the ending is tying all of that off. And and because that's that's what it's all about. Like like I said earlier, going back to the the prestige metaphor. You have to bring it back. You you do the magic trick to to have that that voila but also that you've got to bring it back feeling That's where exactly it's right. the coming together of the illusion and and leaving you mystified and then also sealing it off finishing it off bringing it back bringing it back together you don't do the trick unless you're doing it for those reasons like all the build up to the trick and then you have the trick and the payoff with it it's the same thing with a movie. The ending is the essential touchstone piece, and that's why getting it right is so important and so often the difference between a good movie and a great movie, a bad movie and an average movie. But you get too many people that have no business writing a movie. They don't know how the writing structure works. It's too much about whether it's TV shows, Crash TV. We need to have this mysterious fog show up on Lost. Well, ultimately, what did the fog turn out to be? Absolutely nothing. It was something for people to talk about from one week to the next that just kind of does what fog does. It just evaporated on its own, and there was never an ending to it, nor I do think there was ever an idea as to what it's going to be. Well, it's just, well, let's add a fog. Okay, great. What's it going to be in the end? I don't know. But did they even give it any thought as to what it might be? Clearly, no. You know, Damon Lindoff, as talented as he might be, does not know how to stick a landing to save his life. And I, I like J.J. Abrams, too, but he's going to go down that hole, too. He can do a great show, but he has a hard time sticking the landing a lot of times. And it's it's got to be there. If you're not focused on what the ending is going to be, you don't look two feet before the car when you're driving. You're looking down the highway to see where you're going to get. Otherwise, you veer off the highway and you go into the ditch. And that happens far too much with shows and movies. If you're not thinking about the part one, part two, or act one, act two, act three, or four act, if that's the case, fine. Five act, if that's the case. you got to have an ending. 
Or yeah. you have a house without a roof. And it just seems like, oh, shoot, we got to come up with an ending. Well, let's have this happen. That doesn't make sense. Doesn't matter. We're out of time. We got to go. What? What was the whole thing for? Just like you said about No Country for Old Men. What have we been doing out here for? Ah, we got a product. We can put it on streaming service now. Got to have an ending. Speaking of endings, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater located on Highway 2 just down from the airport. They've got some showtimes going right now if you are comfortable with going to the theaters. Go support them regardless. Um, If you're not feeling comfortable going to a movie, you can still go and get concessions from them as well. And that's going to be a big, big help to the theater. And if you're listening on on podcasting from somewhere else, not Bemidji... You have a theater in that town. Go support it. Go get a snack. Go get to go. Find out when they're open. Have a movie night at your house, but get theater, popcorn, or whatever. Go support them that way. If they're open in the daytime, go bring some popcorn to work. Why not? And a large drink, because salty popcorn makes you thirsty. It does. Well, ending. Should we double end it? I think we should. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of trying to figure out how to scrap together an ending, here we are doing that very thing. Well, we, we prefaced at the beginning of the of the show that we might be doing that. This is Minnesota, where we live. There's such a thing called a Minnesota goodbye. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, we'll see you next week. Yeah, what about the... Oh, yeah. Oh, really? really? And off you go again for another 15 minutes. Well, I got the kids strapped into the car. I got to go. The car's running. Oh, really? And then we went to the thing. And, the, and, then, somebody, and then somebody makes the comment within all of it, boy, we sure have a Minnesota goodbye going, don't we? And then they prattle another along for 10, 10 more minutes. minutes. Yep. Sometimes you just need a concussion grenade and a smoke gr- and a smoke bomb while you immediately exit. So just for the sake of humor, bye hoof. Bye, Dave.